I'm not going to talk politics. <laughs> okay. I figured everybody would be like, just you, some of you are tuning in online. You're like, is, 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 is no, no, we're not talking politics. It, it's just coincidental that the name of the series is Scandal. So uh, we're, <clears throat> we're not going there. And if, I hopefully, well, you are as excited as I am to, to go to another topic. And so we're going to press in for a couple weeks on something I got to tell you that I often take advantage of. And so that's why we've got to talk about the scandal. This, this should be appealing to all of us. But I hope that whether you're new to church or maybe you've been around for a while, that you'll press into a conversation that might seem familiar, but it must resonate with your soul. And this is going across all locations, by the way. Fellows at RCMU, what's up? Uh, I'm so proud of you, by the way. I think 12 of you are getting baptized this weekend. Come on. And at East, you have, you have the best facility. We're jealous. Uh, and, and, and West, let's just talk about scandal. And so for those of you who are worried that this will go a political direction, I, I wanted us to really get into understanding this because some of us uh, are old enough to have experienced multiple <laughs> scandals. Uh, so let me, here's what the dictionary does for us, tells us this. Something that is shocking, upsetting, or unacceptable. This is scandal by definition. This is it. Now, what I want us to clue in on is not necessarily just the unacceptable, but that shocking and upsetting, the things that you and I hear about and that it messes with us in a way that we either talk about it or just get depressed about it, but something that is shocking and upsetting. So let's bring us up to speed. I'm, I want to use some current scandals to help us understand what this looks like. Let's just go to the Olympics. <laughs> uh, if you didn't watch the Olympics, there was a certain athlete that uh, lied. He now has the tagline, uh, Lion Lochte. It's Ryan Lochte. But, but he said, hey, we got robbed. And they're like, hey, that's not on video. And he's like, oops, sorry. And, and so if you don't know this, the swimmer lied about being robbed, found out that they weren't robbed. And, and the ramifications of this, uh, he lost all, I think, believe all of his corporate sponsors. And to add that up numerically, a million dollars. One lie led to a deficit of a million bucks. But the numbers get bigger when you go to different scandals. So let's get real personal and talk about your cell phone. See, Samsung, Samsung says that their product is better, is, is a stronger, more reliable cell phone than the iPhone. So much so that it explodes, it's so happy about being so awesome. So, so here's what's so funny is, is they told everybody, like, hey, sorry about the whole exploding thing. I know some of you didn't sign up for that feature, but I, here, it's, we'll send you a new phone. So what you're supposed to do is send your phone back. Can you imagine being in receiving for Samsung going, this is a mess. Like, what do we do with this? And so, so they sent new phones. Like, these phones are great. They exploded too. <laughs> and, and it's gotten so bad because no one's taking full credit of this and all that. Uh, Estimates of $5 billion in losses and, and climbing because some people are like, Pastor David's been right. iPhones are superior. We should have believed them. <laughs> My iPhone's never blown up. I'm just telling you. Uh, so, so, and $5 billion bucks. Uh, I don't know if you ever you know, had $5 billion in your checking account, but uh, that's a lot of money. But it, it actually, that's not even the worst. That's, that's really going to what some of you might say, David, too soon, too soon, too soon. Let's talk Wells Fargo. 
who made the news. Uh, if you are literally not a part of anything like watching news, reading news, Wells Fargo, over 5,000 employees created fake accounts, credit accounts, uh, banking accounts, for over 2 million uh, accounts, and, and, and found out that this was widespread all over, and mass firings, and, and all that kind of stuff. And in fact, some of you, I've even heard some people have switched banks over this, and, and it's gotten messy and nasty, and now the commercials that they're advertising are like, hey, we, we won't lie anymore, we're, we're honest people now. And, and, but according to what I can find on on the news on this, <clears throat> you're talking, they're in the negative $25 billion, billion dollars. And that is before all of the lawsuits will come from nearly all of the different individuals. I mean, you're talking extreme scandal, jobs lost. This is a mess. Now, you and I know like, yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> so why are we talking in church scandal? Well, I want to go whole different direction with this. I want to press in to what you and I might find hopefully shocking and upsetting, but I want to talk to you about what I'll call the Jesus scandal. See, some of us grew up thinking Jesus is, is good and, and loving, and, and you're right. If you grew up in church, some of us like draw so close to Jesus that we forget exactly what Jesus did, and if you weren't living at the time, which I don't think any of us were, but at the time, when Jesus was walking this earth, the stuff that was coming out of his mouth was scandalous. To the point, well, I'll show you, this is what happened. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die. Now, think in context of you and I. When someone gets the sentence, death row, you're, you're going to die and, and for what you did. It's extreme. You and I would say, yes, that's extreme. Like the, the whole death sentence. They're saying what Jesus did, so scandalous that our laws say he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Now, at this moment, there have been multiple people that had claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior, that claimed to be a bunch of stuff. Jesus is like, hey, everybody, I am the way to getting right with God. I am I'm the way. See, see, you and I, like, I've heard that before, David. I've heard that. Yeah, but at the time, extremely scandalous. It, it had ripples all over the place. People would come just to listen to what he had to say, to try to catch him in what he was saying, saying, if you, if you, if you say this, then you're in trouble. And he was preaching a whole different way to get right with God. See, they had, they had learned at this time that if you follow the law, see, it was all about law, 613 laws. For those of you who are like, I don't know my Bible very well. Will you be in big trouble? Because here's how it works. They have these laws, and, and at present, if you follow the laws, you, you felt good about being right with God. So let me ask you a, a very pointed question. Now, I don't want you to answer this out loud, and you'll understand why. But have you ever been insecure and wondering if you were right with God? Like where you've had a day, a moment, where you're like, you know what I wonder? I wonder if he's, if he's proud of me, if he likes me, oh, and even if he loves me. Have you ever had those moments? Because if you're unwilling to admit it, I, I'll admit it. <laughs> and I grew up in a pastor's home. Everyone in my whole family was a pastor. And I had moments going, hey, does he know about yesterday? Because if so, I'm in trouble. And many of us are extremely insecure on how to be right with God. Where you might be like, you know what, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, but, but when it comes to 
when it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to like, if you breathe your last breath, and based on what you believe, I'll just tell you there, there is eternity, it's either heaven or hell, and the whole idea of being right with God, I've talked to people who have followed God, at least in my terms, better than I ever have. And I've talked with them at the end of their life, and they're asking me, I'm, I'm scared. Scared is if I'm right with God, I don't know. What I have found is, is this is not a conversation we'll have with a lot of people. We, we just don't talk to people about this. We don't, we don't have these conversations. We just have them in our head, the insecurities going, sure, hope so. Hope I go to church enough. Hope I didn't cuss too much. Hope I didn't do this. Hope he totally forgets what happened in high school. And we, go, we just go through this whole list and we're insecure. And when you have a bad day, you get even more insecure. And this scandal, this Jesus scandal, dealt with that. And so if you're an individual who has a, a hint of insecurity. Maybe you were raised religious, and you're like, David, I got this down. It's, if, if I just go to church or I do certain things, and there's this list, and if I, if I do that, I feel pretty good. The problem is Jesus didn't preach, do good, and that's all that it is, and if you just are the best person in your group, good job. No, he said something actually, well, it got him killed. I'll show you. Jesus answered, I, I. See, sometimes we read the Bible too fast, and we jump through, and we get to the, the, the nitty-gritty. I would tell you some of the greatest meat in this verse is the word I, because he's not saying church. He's not saying if you're baptized as a baby. He's not saying, hey, if grandma loved God, then all's good. If you're born into a religious family... He says, I, scandalous, crazy scandals, I am the way. See, sometimes there's folks who believe that, well, all, all religions are the same. It's just, you know, they're just different creativity on how that all plays out. See, according to Jesus, he would say, uh-uh. Jesus declared that he was the only way to the, and the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's like saying, hey, I'm it. There's, there's no other way. There's no other options. If you want to be right with God, because many of them are craving that. They're craving like, are we good enough? Or have we done enough sacrifices? And he's like, here's the deal. If you want to be right with God, I am the way. I'm the only way to heaven. That got him killed, for those of you who are unaware of what happened with Jesus. See, this messes with many of us because we're, we're like, <clears throat> he, if he's the way... So, so it's not about exactly what I do every day. There's a, there seems to be a relationship. Like, hey, if you know Jesus, he's the way. It, it seems to be about Jesus. See, this messes with us because partially we're Americans, partially we're South Dakotans, and then just by nature we're like, so just like to know him, believe in him, and love him, that's, that's it, David? Like, that's, I'll tell you why this messes. We regularly treat getting right with God as something to earn. Now, we, we look at this idea of like, okay, God, I believe in him. He's real. He created all of this. I'm locked in. What do I do, David? <laughs> and we lean in like we got to earn something because we take that out of life. It's not bad to earn stuff. I hope we're clear on that. It's not bad to do something and earn something. But we transfer that. I'll, I'll give you an example. <laughs> my daughter, my eight-year-old daughter has requested, submitted in formal writing, she wants a guinea pig. 
if you've been a part of our church long enough, you know that I don't have a great affinity for animals. Uh, I think they're, they're, they're neat and, and necessary, uh, except like in my house, like where I got to take care of them. I, I've got kids. I take care of them, uh, and, and that's good enough. But there's these pets that we seem to like in our houses. Some of you like cats and stuff. I, I don't understand. So my daughter, like my princess, hey, hey, Dad, I want a guinea pig. And in my head, I'm going, this isn't easy, no, like whatever. But then she's so precious. Because here's my problem with guinea pigs. If you are not, you're like, I don't know guinea pigs. Tell me, David, here, what are guinea pigs? Guinea pigs are rats. They're fat rats, okay? I know by definition that may not work. But, and not only this is, here's the concept. Here's the whole concept as I get it in my head. Dad, can I have a rat in my room? And he's going to pee and poop on himself. And I'm so excited about this because I'm going to pull him out of the cage with pee and poo on him. And we're going to play with him as a family. And he might even pee and poo on the carpet. And Dad, doesn't this sound wonderful? And then we get to clean the pee and the poo all week long. I'm like, see, so you're seeing, understand, here's a little bit inside of my head. See, I know you're like, David, you're so negative. I'm just telling the truth. But she's my princess, and she's saying, Dad, I want a guinea pig. And, and Katie, if you've never met her, she's my wife, and she's a loving one. And she's like, that's a good idea. I'm like, what in the world are we doing? But then I learned, and, and so there's this, I, sometimes as parents, you're like, oh, eight-year-old, that's what you want? Oh, I'll just give it to you. And, and I'm like, no, back away. Okay, I'm open to this. I'm open to this. I'm going to try to be a good dad here and try to make sure that this is not achievable. But uh, uh, that's, uh, no. And, and I'm like, you, dear, I, I, want you, I want you to show some responsibility. I, I'm not a firm believer that you start the behavior of responsibility once you get the pet. Let's do it before we get the pet. And so I'm like, okay, let's do this. Let's that, set some standards up. Let's earn this. All right, here's the deal. Um, sweetie, you, you got to do this and this and this. And some of it was not by our prompting, not by, hey, clean your room for the 75th time. It's, I want you to clean your room and keep it clean and, and show us that you can do it without us prodding you, right? <laughs> what's, what's been fascinating, she has become the model child. Like, I'm talking, it's scary. The other day she came to me, and you, I, you, I'm not making this up to make the story get... She's like, hey, Dad, I cleaned my room. I'm like, that's awesome. I'm like, that's good. She's like, and, and I cleaned uh, Titus's room. I'm like, oh, my goodness. We've created a monster, and I think I'm going to lose on this. I think we're now down the road that there's going to be a guinea pig, and i got to figure this out. Now, see, here's the deal is I think this is good. I actually, I, you're seeing my view of parenting. I think a, a child should learn responsibility so that they don't become an adult who thinks there's no need for it. So I want, this is good. This, it's good. The problem is, is that we take this earning mentality and we try to press it into relationships. See, she's not earning my love. That's, that's, that's there. That's settled. She, but sometimes we, we think that's how things work is, is I need to earn this so that we're in good standing together. And then we think about God. Well, God's perfect. Oh my, I, how am I going to meet this standard? And, and we have this battle of getting right with God. Here's what the battle looks like. It's good versus grace. Uh, to give this more definition, here's what good means. God loves me because I'm good. And many of us, wh wh whether you were taught it or not, you don't have to be taught this. It just comes to you. <laughs> because we're this earn-driven, responsibility-motivated, I do this, I get that. I do that. 
And that's good unless, unless you think that's how God determines his love for you. So you remember when I was talking to you, hopefully you do, about feeling insecure on being right with God. When I'm talking to you, how insecure or secure are you that God likes you no matter what you do? God loves you no matter what you do. Sometimes you're like, well, the preacher said that, but have you owned it, right? And so when I say good versus grace, good, God loves me because I'm good. Grace says God just loves me. In a sentence. I know some of us are like, but i got to do something. Like, I don't want to become this enabled person. God loves me. And in fact, some of you are going to hate this. I'm going to give you a moment. Because I want you to see something so profound. See, sometimes we read it on signs or we say it and we think it's, it's this hippie kind of thing. No, I'm going to tell you, God, God loves you. I want you to say it in your head. Whether you want to or not, just say, the pastor made us do this weird thing when he was preaching. I, just in your head right now, I just want you to say, God loves me. Because what I get to tell you is that he loves you no matter what. You don't have the authority and you can't even be bad enough for him to retract his love going, oh, I can't believe you did that. See, grace is so powerful. It's a scandal. It's a scandal in the sense that it's shocking. It's unsettling. And it got Jesus killed when he's like, hey, the laws, I've come to fulfill the law. Those what you're doing in order to get your sins forgiven, and I've come to fulfill that. I want a relationship. In fact, maybe you've missed this in one of the most popular verses, John 3, 16, for God so loved. Like it wasn't just words it wasn't just this, hey, I'm trying to gather a group of people, so I'm going to tell them all I love them. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him, believes in him. This is the skin. Like, you just got to believe that he did it, and, and you begin to welcome grace into your life. That whoever believes in him, belief is this thing that goes into your soul and, and even affects your behavior, but it's not about your behavior. Believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Oh, I wish the capital C church would get a hold of this verse and not skip it. He came to show us love. He didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, Jesus. Not the law, Jesus. So let me give you a definition of grace, because I know some of us are, we're, okay, well, unmerited favor. Now, sometimes we're like, oh, I need help with those two words, too. Uh, unmerited favor, unmerited, uh, undeserved. Oh, let's go American here. <laughs> Unearned favor. Unearned. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. There's nothing that you can do. You can try, but you will be unsuccessful. You cannot find yourself in a position where God's like, I'm giving you extra because you are a really good person. I don't think you've sinned in years. This is amazing. No, it's just you have grace. If you have been locked up in prison and done the worst of the worst, that grace offer is extended to you. If you have been the princess of all things and done all good, that grace is extended to you. It's not fair. And that is the scandal. Is that God, the creator of all universe, of everything, 
I mean, think about all that he's made and how perfect and amazing it is. He still points to you and I, does not offer it to anybody else, but to you and I and says, this is not fair. But I refuse to stop loving you. I give you grace. See, we live in a world that like, I want fair though. You don't want fair. And that's what's so difficult to pull grace into our soul because we look at what we've done and what we've thought and what we've said and who we are and the people around us and the decisions that we've made. And we're like, I don't deserve this. Am I right with God? And that's why we, we go to our deathbed, most of us, completely insecure. And he's like, you don't have to be. It's not about if you're Lutheran, Catholic, Wesleyan, Baptist, Nazarene, whatever. It's do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, the only way to God. He's the only way to be made right. See, oftentimes this grace thing is so mundane because we've heard it so often, like grace, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm forgiven, sweet. It's probably because you've forgotten the cost. And this is one of those weekends that we remember that freedom is not free, correct? I hope we all get that. Freedom is not free, and a lot of times we treat grace like it costs nothing, and that is far from the truth. I'll show you what it costs. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. He's talking about Jesus. You know, Jesus, the guy said, hey, I, I am the way. I am the way to be made right. If you believe in me, that I'm going to die for you and, and pay the price for your sins. So that got him killed. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. If you don't know what crucified is, it is the most gruesome, horrific, most painful way for someone to die at that time. It was literally, what's the top 10 list? That's the top one that they had. How do we really make this person hurt as they die? Crucifixion. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross, I mean, if you received the death penalty for something that wasn't wrong, many of us would be tempted to go on, well, then you're going to have to drag me to my death. Yet Jesus is like, oh, I, I'll, I'll carry my own cross. He was so brutally beaten that he was physically unsuccessful in carrying his cross the whole way. He physically couldn't. But he made the initial effort. See, it's stuff like that that wrecks me. If you think that grace was free and is like, this is no big deal. <sighs> Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. If you don't know the details about this, this really ticked off the Jews. <laughs> They're like, no, no, no. He said he was the king. We disagree. That's why he needs to be crucified. And Pilate's like, I don't care what you said. And they inscribed it there. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. This is debated. Different theologians think different things, but most contend that it was the equivalent of being crucified in between two terrorists. Usually if you were crucified... You were not allowed to be buried just to cast more disgrace on you. That's the death that our Lord and Savior, Son of God, took on. 
Friends, grace cost everything. See, some of us, we're Christians and we've heard it so much. Perhaps this message is not just for folks who are trying to figure out, do I believe in Jesus as my Savior? Perhaps it's those who owned it at a young age and need to be reminded that every single day you and I walk and breathe and sit saturated in the grace of God. It is a miracle and powerful. Grace was scandalous. And you should never forget that. So for those of you who are new at all this, you're like, I, I would like to be made right with God. This grace stuff, even though it's so grossly unfair and I don't even know how to receive it, how do I begin to walk toward this idea of being made right with God? To be made right with God, grace must be the subject. And again, I, I grew up with an English teacher's mom. So a lot of times I look at things in this world of gr- grammar and sentence structure and things like that. So, so, so if you and I were to draft a sentence about getting right with God, grace has to be the subject. If you're from like, what would that mean? Religion is not the subject. Trying to be good enough is not the subject. Just regretting what you've done, not the subject. Grace is unmerited, unearned favor from God. But then it goes on, to be made right with God, surrender must become the verb to the sentence. Because it's not like, hey, that's neat, and one day I might get to that. No, no. To be made right with God, you acknowledge you have grace that is not earned, and to get to it requires surrender, literally throwing your life at the feet of God saying, I'm going to do things your way. That's the hard part actually surrendering, giving up. Well, but I'm going to try to earn it. I'm gonna, I get this, David. Grace is good, but I'm still going to, like, I'm going to, just to kind of get extra credit here, uh, just in case it's a low grade at the end of the season kind of thing. I, no. You got to let go. The best way I can example this, a writer that has written some beautiful things called Henry Nouwen was writing, and in his writings, he talked about, he became fascinated with trapeze artists. I personally have never become fascinated with trapeze artists. I look at that and go like, I am not putting that on my bucket list. Uh, and in fact, they stress me out. I don't, I don't like heights and the idea of people swinging back and forth and then like letting go of stuff and going, that was stupid. Why'd you let go? That was so secure. And he got fascinated with them. So, so in his fascination, he went and interviewed them and talked to them a little bit and tried to figure some things out. And, and he learned all about it. And what was fascinating is if you've ever watched this, if you've ever been to the moment where you got these trapezes artists swinging around and then they let go and all that, I don't know what your perception is or what you think, how it's done, but he figured out some stuff that was pretty cool. I'll, I'll read this to you because I, I think it helps. When I fly to Joe, which I love the guy's name was Joe. I don't know why, but when I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. And he even responds, like, you do nothing? (laughs) Nothing. The the worst thing the flyer can do is try to catch the catcher. There's there's some meat in this if, if you'll listen. I am not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grab Joe's wrist, I might break them. He might break mine. And that would be the end of both of us. A flyer must fly and a catcher must catch. And the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. 
I mean, if you saw me flying, I'd be like, where, where are you? Where, where, where in the world are you? That's what we do in life. We say, okay, I'll take grace, but then we spend like, have I done enough? Have I done enough? How, am I good enough? Do you like me enough? And, and what God's like, hey, just let me catch you. No, you're not good enough. No, you haven't lived perfect enough. Let me catch you. The beauty and the scandal of grace is you can't earn it. It's not fair. And the reaction, how you get it, is to let go and say, my family, I give to you, God. I can't raise perfect kids. I can't be the perfect spouse. I can't be the perfect religious person. I can't be the perfect employee. God, I need your grace to saturate everything so you just let go. What does that look like? I'll show you. It's a statement kind of like this. God, I have neglected you and your ways. Now listen up closely because this applies to all of us, whether, whether you believe Jesus is your Savior or, or, or maybe this is new to you, maybe it's old to you. Just listen to this. God, I have neglected you and your ways. I have ignored you and your way of life. I have defied you and your ways. There is something wrong, something broken in me, and I can't fix it. That's, that's what letting go looks like. It's not about becoming more religious, more perfect, somehow getting everyone to like you. It's a full surrender, taking in grace. The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians, for it is by grace that you have been saved, that you've, you've been grabbed. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And, and this is not from yourselves. Just kind of like, and I know some of you are going to try to earn it and try to deserve it and try to get at least some bonus points. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. You can't do it so that no one can boast, so that none of us can say, well, I actually kind of caught myself. <laughs> because that's what some of us are trying to do, trying to leverage religion, leverage our behavior, leverage who, what family we were born in, leverage that we were baptized as a baby. And we're trying to leverage that to make us feel good but being right with God. And God's like, no, it's, it's surrender. Let me take you back. To be made right with God, surrender must be the verb. So I'll ask you, have you ever surrendered your life to God? And if you have, have you ever taken it back? I'm guilty of saying, God, I'm all in this with you. And then some time passes, and I started to grab again. So we're going we're gonna to baptize some folks. And you need to know that these folks are not perfect. But they've acknowledged that they can't catch themselves. They can't save themselves. So I'm going to ask you what they've resolved. How are you going to be made right with God? Are you going to try to be good enough? Or are you going to own grace? Here's what I'd like you to do. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? And I think this is a perfect moment, whether you're watching online or wherever you are, that we press in. How secure do you feel you're right with God? I don't ask that at all to scare you. I just think it's a good question to ask. Have you owned the grace of God? Not have you earned it. Have you owned it? And if you never have, here's some words that I think would be great to speak to God, just silently straight to him. God, I'm sorry for my sins. And I own this forgiveness that you offer. I own grace. 
Wash me white as snow. Make me right with you. I believe Jesus did all this for me. Died for me. He beat death for me. And I surrender my life to you. I love you, God. Help me each day. Help me each moment to own this grace you have offered me and I now accept. I pray this in the name of Jesus who saves me. Amen.